0: From a dream within a dream, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who think there's so much beauty in Uwe Boll's films that they feel like they can't take it, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Yeah, so uh, Mark, we we need more Vox boxes, so people need to send them in to godsatdigigods dot com. Just record yourself asking something pithy and wonderful and silly, and we will uh, will be equally silly and uh, answer it. Uh, send us listener mail godsadigigods.com. We got some of that today too, if we can get to it. We and gotta...
1: more outros.
0: And more outros. You need we need we need outros. We need exits. We need a little uh, a little zinger at the end of every show. Please submit suggestions for that. You know, like a good night and good luck, or uh, go screw yourself, or some something like that. Some, something sweet and endearing that will make us money. Um, make us money? I don't know. Whatever.
1: In the, the lucrative podcasting industry? <laughs>
0: it, it, you know, it's lucrative for somebody out there, the people who, uh, who make the equipment, basically. Uh, what, what wonderful things are going on in the, in the world of movies, Mark, right now, other than Lone Ranger just, just taking gas?
1: It's already done. It's a done deal, man. Sorry, Lone Ranger.
0: And uh, White House Down—that didn't even—that—that that went nowhere. I mean, yeah, wow. That's too bad. because I, I, I. You like knew, knew that. You knew that this summer was going to have a couple of couple of stinkers.
1: Well, every summer is going to have a couple of stinkers from yeah. now on in.
0: But the but the tent poles, you know, they throw so much money at these things, and uh, oh, man, wow. Well, anyway.
1: Well, yesterday or yesterday. Last week, you went yes. crazy about the Linda Opes book.
0: Yes. And I and hope you
1: went on uh, the site to check out Wade's the, interview the with interview, uh, uh, the, the author. The, mid,
0: the midweek update, which uh, I still think is a, was, I mean, it was just wonderful for me to talk to her. I just had uh, so much fun, and it was so illuminating. So, uh, still highly recommended. Sleepless in Hollywood. Read it. Everything will come into focus for you. Uh, you know, we should get going into this. Mark, we, uh, last week we left off talking about uh, classic movies... And there were a bunch that we didn't get to, uh, namely a gigantic stack of uh, Warner Archive titles. Warner Archive has just been going nuts lately. So I want to call people's attention to some of the tremendous titles coming out here. Remember, these are all uh, MOD manufacturer on demand titles. That means they are DVD-Rs. That's a fancy studio way of saying they are not regular uh, mass production DVDs. They are DVD-Rs. So they're a little less stable. But you know what? The quality in some cases uh, is as good, if not better, than what uh, some of these movies had. Some of them which were previously released on on uh, commercial-grade DVDs. First one is A Guy Named Joe, the Victor Fleming film, starring uh, Spencer Tracy and Irene Dunn. Victor Fleming, of course, famous for both uh, 1939 classic Technicolor films, Wizard of Oz and uh, the uh, the, uh, Gone with the Wind phenomenon. And... um, even though Victor Fleming really was one of, what, like nine guys that Selznick had on uh, Gone with the Wind? Oh, sure. It was something, I mean, it was like King Vidor, and, you know, it's like everybody had a hand in that movie, but he somehow got the credit for it. Anyway, a guy named Joe. Mark, why is a guy named Joe famous?
1: Because uh, it's about a guy named Joe.
0: No, you know what this is. It's uh, Spencer you know Tracy's it's, first... Uh, it's, about a, it's, about a, it's about a pilot who dies in 1944, and, uh, and you Steven know... Steven
1: Spielberg remade it.
0: That's right. What he remake it as? Uh, always. That's right. He remade it as always, which was uh, Audrey Hepburn's last film. Yeah That's so sad Anyway Guy named Joe That was so impressed itself On Spielberg That he remade it Also features Van Johnson Lionel Barrymore And Esther Williams As well as Barry Nelson The original television James Bond Uh, You know what uh, Who happens to be in this movie Along with Ward Bond How about that
1: How about Burt Ward Yeah
0: Anyway uh, Just a classic Old Hollywood melodrama You definitely want to Check that out it's from the Warner Archive Collection uh, The Power and the Prize With Robert Taylor Burl Ives And Elizabeth Mueller Who was supposed to be A big deal at this time And uh, went nowhere This was a uh, an MGM Cinemascope movie from uh, the, the, the golden widescreen era of uh, 1956, right as things were just uh, starting to pop. And um, I got to say, it's, it's, it's a little schmaltzy. Mary Astor is wonderful in this film. Everybody else is just kind of uh, along for the, uh, for the ride. Um, uh, Mueller was never, you know, she, she, she came from um, Switzerland, and uh, was supposed to be like the next uh, Ingrid Bergman, and it just never really uh, happened for but uh, that being said it's it 's perfectly fine it 's a you know perfectly adequate melodrama. Um, previously on DVD and then discontinued out of print and now back thanks to the Warner Archive is Back to the Beach Mark you love Back to the Beach
1: and Ned Funicello passed away
0: recently I know so sad this was the uh, this is the uh, the campy revisitation of the old beach movies with Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello which is just a if you love television from the 50s and 60s uh, and not just the beach movies, you'll absolutely adore this because it's got it, it's got like references to Get Smart, to uh, Gilligan's Island, Bob Denver, and uh, and Alan Hale even have cameos in here. Uh, and we're going to talk about Bob Denver a little bit later as well. And uh, it, you know Don Adams is in this thing, Pee Wee Herman is in this thing, um, the Beaver, and Wally are in this thing. I mean, it's great. It's just it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's just a tremendously delightful camp classic from a director named Lindell Hobbs that did nothing else so sad uh, but one of the last uh, kind of really cool Paramount films from Frank Mancuso Jr and this is being released through the Warner Archive Collection courtesy of that agreement between Paramount and Warner now you know there's, that, that where there, there's all these old Paramount library titles that they just said we don't, have any, we, don't, we don't know what to do with these we don't really want to exploit them here you do something so we're getting a lot of Paramount titles out of Warner Brothers now
1: well, Paramount seems to take the least amount of interest in their library.
0: They do, and it's kind of sad, but the, sad. the Linda Obst book sort of gets into that, doesn't it? That is it? true. And, of course, my interview with her touched on that as well. Uh, oh, was that
1: the interview with her that you didn't tell me you were interviewing yeah. her? It, yep. was, it was a surprise to me.
0: That would be the one. And, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what I had not realized, Mark? Um, are you a fan of Zandi's Bride? Did you ever see Zanny's Bride? I did not. You're, you're, a, you're a Gene Hackman fan. I
1: love Gene Hackman. He's my all-time, my all-time favorite. How
0: did you not see Bride? You, you
1: know how many movies Gene Hackman did? I know. Especially during that 10, era. 10,000.
0: Well, this is really interesting. This is a 1974 film with Gene Hackman. And um, it, it's, there, there are so many interesting things about this um, that I, I can't even – I don't even know where to get into. But it's, a, it's the true story of, uh, of this guy. It's this true, true life, amazing Western story. Uh, directed by Jan Troll, the Swedish director who did The Emigrants, the and who was a big, big deal at this time. And we were just talking about Liv Ullman. Well, Liv Ullman is, is in this as well. And on top of all that, you know who wrote the screenplay for this thing? Oh, yeah, it
1: was um, Paddy Chavsky. Mark Norman.
0: Really? Mark Norman, who wrote the first draft, uh, the original uh, Shakespeare and Love screenplay. Ooh, isn't that interesting it is I had, I had no idea I mean I've seen this movie before I think it's a really cool movie I think it's one of those great kind of uh, you know gritty period films from the 70s a little bit like uh, what was the the Altman thing that uh, uh, McC- McCabe, and oh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller McCabe and Mrs. Miller McCabe and Mrs. Miller there's kind of a McCabe and Mrs. Miller vibe to this so anyway I thought it was cool um, Greta Garbo stars in The Painted Veil Uh, you got to love Greta Garbo. I am a huge Greta Garbo fan. I'm just so sad she didn't make more than a handful of movies, and uh, you can get them all just about at uh, Warner Archive Collection, including The Silence. This is from 1934. And the significance of this film, The Painted Veil, apart from the fact that it was recently remade uh, with Edward Norton and Naomi Watts, quite nicely, actually, um, is that this was directed by Richard Boleslavsky. And Richard Buloslavsky, is, you know, is, is known for being kind of the guy who wrote the book on directing actors. Buloslavsky was the guy who inspired Stanislavsky, who inspired the whole method philosophy of, uh, of you know, um, What's-His-Face? The guy that uh, started the whole method thing. Of, um, yeah, him. Russian guy. Yeah. No, no, not the Russian guy. The American guy. Oh. Uh, yeah. Who's yeah. got the place over here in Hollywood that we always forget about. Nobody cares about. It. He's got the daughter. What's her name? You
1: know, uh...
0: Yeah, method actor guy. Uh, Mark will think of it. Uh, look it up. Get on that, would you?
1: No, I'm not going to look it up. I have to think of it.
0: Uh, also, Warner Archive collection, uh, Otto Preminger's A Human Factor, based on the Graham Greene novel. Uh, Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg. Thank you, that guy. Uh, Susan Strasberg's dad. Mr. Strasberg. Mrs. Strasberg's husband. The, uh, as you would say, Tom Stoppard, um, as long as we're talking about great screenwriters uh, who had a hand in Shakespeare in Love. Um, Tom Stoppard wrote the screenplay for this human for the Human Factor based on the Graham Greene novel, and uh, it's really really good. This is uh, not maybe the best Otto Preminger film ever, but it certainly uh, you know keeps pace with some of the other stuff. Richard Attenborough, John Gilgood, Derek Jacobi, Robert Morley, um, Nicol Williamson. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a really really great bunch of guys. And uh, Iman even shows up in this. This was her first film before she decided to become a housewife uh, to Mr. Bowie. So, uh, not bad. Um, Moving quickly through these, MGM made a movie called Right Cross with Lionel Barrymore, June Allison, Dick Powell, and Ricardo Montalban. And uh, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because I think this has one. It's a boxing movie, right? It's an old classic Hollywood boxing movie. There were a million of them. Uh, directed by John Sturges who would later go on to do uh the uh the great escape brilliantly but uh the, the, this has the, this has the worst tagline of any movie ever and uh the only way they got away with it was because this is it was a different era mark read the tagline
1: oh he knew how to treat him rough in the ring or in romance <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: it's just cheesy it's just cheesy i just i don't know that wouldn't fly today Uh, June Allison and Dick Powell also in The Reformer and the Redhead. I don't know that that would fly today either. That sounds... Terribly, terribly sexist. Um, but this was produced and directed by Norman Panama and Melvin Frank. Norman Panama, of course, is a wonderful a wonderful track record with a lot of comedies, including some uh, Jerry Lewis movies. And um, I, you know, I, I don't know that this is a, a a great comedy, but it certainly is entertaining. It has a has a nice uh, you know June Allison is a, She's just so pure and wonderful and um, why not? Uh, another Paramount movie that we finally get back on DVD again, courtesy of the Paramount Warner deal, of course now it is on DVD-R through the Archive Collection, is uh, Kids in the Hall in Brain Candy. Uh, uh, did, you, did you like this film?
1: I, I'm not a big Kids in the Hall fan.
0: See, I love Kids in the Hall, but the movie itself just, fe- just felt a little bit obscure to me.
1: The only thing I remember from Kids in the Hall that I liked was I'm Crushing Your Head. Oh, that's so funny. Remember that? He would take. Brilliant. His fingers, I'm Crushing Your Head. I love it. I'm Crushing Your Head.
0: Love it. Uh, the Molly Maguires, directed by Martin Ritt, starring Richard Harris and Sean Connery uh, and Samantha Egger, who I always loved as well. Uh, you know, good, solid, gritty, coal mining movie that, uh, you know, you can't get enough of those. And it feels like a, a total far cry from... Uh, you know the coal mining movies like uh, How Green Is My Valley and all that stuff, and where, well, so, where it's kind of uh, romanticized. This isn't romanticized. This is know, you, just gritty and and grungy.
1: You know who would make this movie today is John Sales.
0: Oh, probably. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this is uh, it's a good movie. Uh, Molly Maguire definitely has that Martin Ritz social realism thing going for it. And then uh, Jupiter's Darling, uh, a, a big uh, MGM musical from uh, the Esther Williams era. If you uh, have any of the other Esther Williams stuff, you'll probably want to get this. It's it's kind of silly. It's uh, it'll, like if Cecil B. DeMille had done a musical set in uh, 216 B.C. Uh, around the story of uh, Hannibal and Carthage. It would be this movie. It's kind of ridiculous. It's sort of embarrassing, but it's colorful and kitschy and silly, and uh, has wonderful choreography by Hermes Pan, one of the old great MGM uh, choreographers. And then uh, coming down to the last two, Betty Davis in Winter Meeting, um, which is just another schmaltzy uh, melodramatic romance about a you know poet who falls in love with a with a war veteran. And uh, that's just exactly what they were looking for in, uh, in 1948. They were looking for all kinds of residual World War II melodramas uh, based, on, based on a cheesy novel by a woman named Ethel Vance, which, is, which I thought was funny because um, Vivian Vance played Ethel on I Love Lucy. I never knew there was an Ethel Vance. Did you? I did not. See? You love that. Good music by Max Steiner, by the way. Good score. That's about the only decent thing in that one. And then another Betty Davis movie, Front Page Woman, which is a little more famous. And I'm kind of surprised that this hasn't been on Blu-ray, to be honest, because it is uh, it is one of the uh, better Betty Davis collaborations with major directors, directed by Michael Curtiz of Casablanca fame. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty funny kind of uh, romantic comedy that you would have expected from, like, the, uh, you know, Catherine Hepburn and... Uh, uh, Spencer Tracy. It's got that kind of vibe to it, you know, kind of a front page vibe. And uh, in this case, it's front page woman. So uh, they're definitely going for the uh, for the same audience. And Betty Davis is terrific in it. So absolutely wonderful. Uh, Michael Curtiz, really good job. And with that, Mark, tell us about Heavy Traffic. Oh wait,
1: I, I get to talk. You now? get to
0: talk now. I'm done with the Warner Archive blurb. Wow. Cool.
1: Heavy Over. Traffic from 1973 was uh, written and directed by Ralph uh, Bakshi. This movie was originally given an X rating. Now it's
0: given... Ralph an, oh. Bakshi, an X? I know. Oh.
1: Well, now it's been downgraded to an R. But uh, like all Bakshi films, this is uh, animation. There's also some live action in this, too. But um, it's, uh, it's pretty out there, like all the Bakshi stuff. Uh, I don't know that this is as uh, funny and was not as controversial or groundbreaking as Frisk the Cat. But it's still good stuff if you're a Bakshi completist. Looks great on Blu-ray. Includes a couple of... Um, actually, includes no... Uh, Extras, unfortunately, but um, but still, it's good stuff. Heavy traffic. This is uh, it's funny because in the movie, you know, they, Bakshi just didn't care. I mean, like the main character in the film is named Michael Corleone. That's awesome. I mean, how can you not love that? But um, yeah, so the animation is very crude, but it's also very dirty.
0: Well, that's what Backshe was. Ne- was never a great animator. No, he just had style.
1: He was like an envelope yeah. pusher who had style. And that's why we uh, that's why we love them, um, but also like it was funny because there was in the mid '70s there was Bakshi and there was like Walt Disney, like the two polar opposites of what represented. Well, and the Fleischer's
0: the Fleischer's were kind of pretenders to the throne, right? But yeah, you're you're right. Bakshi was the anti-Disney. He was the guy that said uh, animation can be dirty and and doesn't have to be cute.
1: That's right. Oh, and this film was not cute. And there's uh, heavy traffic. It's good stuff. Uh, Wade, uh, the big release of the week is 42, the Jackie Robinson story. Yep. This stars uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, yep. as. Uh, and now, it's nice to see Harrison Ford not uh, taking a paycheck. He's actually like, almost possibly crafting a character yep. and playing a role. Yep. What was the last time he did that? Forever? I don't know. This movie is—it's uh, a story that obviously needs to be told, and we do have a couple of other Jackie Robinson uh, DVDs to talk about it, in a second. It, but uh, should this point one, out that
0: Spike Lee—he um, should have directed this. W- well, he wanted to for the longest time. This was supposed to be a Denzel Washington thing uh, the, the, for the longest time. And he adapted it, and he from some biographies, and he, he put a lot of work into it, and it just never came together. And I don't know how you—I don't know how that doesn't happen, uh, except for the fact that he—he he kind of. Tarnished his reputation as a frugal director after he made Malcolm X, and people, then that didn't make money. And everybody kind of thought, "Well, do we really want to go to that well again? Another biopic with these two guys?" But that should have happened. Well, it would have been a much
1: different film than what we have, directed by uh, Brian Helgeland. Uh, the Spike Lee one would have been a little more,
0: yeah, incendiary, the,
1: incendiary pointed. This one is incredibly old-fashioned. It is old-fashioned to a fault. It's good and, for Helgeland,
0: huh? Good for Helgeland,
1: and. You know, I think there's some uh, I think there's some merit in that. I don't yeah. know if it's the movie that people want to see necessarily, because again, it's I mean, just Jackie Robinson, at least in this film, is the the uh, you know the the epitome of uh, of goodness and wonderfulness, yeah. and yeah. Uh, the evil re- racist, horrible baseball owners are yeah. evil, racist, and horrible. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit it's a little bit black hat, white hat, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but there is something refreshing about a movie that is so sort of uh, you know wears itself on its sleeve
0: absolutely it's kind of
1: nice yeah so anyway 42 it's not that bad now um we have a couple other dvds regarding jackie robinson we have letters from jackie the private thoughts of jackie robinson is Uh, this the same thing yes (laughs) (sighs) now way this is back when people wrote letters yeah now we send texts yeah so really like someday we'll have like texts from albert pujols yeah probably what they'll have yeah but this is great stuff. This is Jackie Robinson, and uh, he is writing letters to, um, you know, Martin Luther King and uh, and uh, President Eisenhower, and his daughter, and his wife. And he had a longtime pen pal that he also writes letters to. That's uh, all dramatized here. So it's a great way to get, get a sense of head. what, yeah, what he really thought. I mean, this is stuff that he never thought would be never thought would go public. Yeah. So he had no reason to censor himself. Well, he,
0: well, he had a pen, he had a pen pal. That's what I find interesting about this doc. He had a pen pal this Ron Rabinovitz guy, and um, it, you know it, it 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 it's it's interesting. You don't think of like would would you expect any major athlete today to have a pen pal? No. See, I mean, it's just he's a down to earth guy. No, they,
1: they 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 tweet, like they follow your Twitter feed. Yeah, and, and they you follow ins- their Twitter and they feed. they insult and that's, people. That's it.
0: They insult people and they say things like, "I'm going to get you, you you stupid queen." <laughs> Thank you, Alec <laughs> Baldwin. Queer. What the but no queen, Alec oh, wrote queen, queen. queen he said queen oh, really? and then he went and then he had to go on record explaining how when he uses the word queen it doesn't mean what everyone else uses it as like,
1: oh, yes it is he just got <laughs> he was just really pissed off and in a, in, a, in a peak of fury that's what he did oh my gosh wait why do you have so many copies of the movie Beck
0: no, it's not a movie. It's a TV series. Okay. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. It's many volumes of a TV series. We'll, we'll get to that. You know what, Mark? Uh, I am so glad. This 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 was re- actually released on DVD previously, and I couldn't get a copy of it for whatever reason. It just wasn't available. And now it's being released again from Lionsgate, and I'm so glad because I actually didn't, uh, I didn't get anywhere near this uh, when it was in theaters. The uh, Oogie Loves and oh, the Big This is
1: bo- a very controversial... Uh...
0: Little movie here. O- Oogie loves in the big balloon adventure. Yes. Oh my gosh! E- easily one of the biggest catastrophes of all time. Well, uh, it was also a it was also a self financed catastrophe. Totally. Well, not self financed, but independently financed. I mean. The, 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 they went and just dug up basically the guy who who made this movie uh, has a long record I won't get into all the details of it, it has a long record with children's television and uh, went and drummed up a lot of independent financing to make what he thought was going to be the first of a great big giant kind of uh, Teletubby like movie franchise and they marketed the hell out of this thing it was unbelievable and I it, I think it had a per screen average of something like two people per theater nationwide in 3,000 screens or something it was, it was was catastrophic no one went to see this i don't i don't even know how that's possible if you filled the theaters with anthrax you couldn't chase people away to the same degree it just it, it was it was a, it just had no traction at all
1: although i'm i'm gonna say something which yeah go ahead I, I don't know that um, we have any serious proof of how its intended audience would receive this film if you're, a, if you're a parent and you go to the Oogie Loves film, I'm sure you want to hang yourself. Yeah. But if you're three years old, for all you well, know, it's like Gone with the Wind to them.
0: Yeah, well, you know. You just you, don't know. Give them, give them money, let them go drive themselves to the theater. <laughs> uh, when they had the press Aww. screening of this, by the way, and I did not go to the press screening, but did you, you heard about it, right? The press screening was like a, they had a gigantic carnival of Oogie Love lovernalia all set up outside the theater. It was just it, they really just spent a gigantic amount of money trying to generate uh, buzz for this. It's amazing. And, you know, the people who are in this, you know, Christopher Lloyd, Cloris Leachman, Chaz Palminteri, Carrie Elwes, I mean, they're not, they're not slouches, but it doesn't exactly bring people in.
1: Uh, wait, now there's now, what do you think would happen if the Oogie Loves met uh, Sylvester Stallone? He'd put from a bullet, bullet to the head. He'd
0: put a bullet in their heads. He really would, wouldn't he? He would, yeah, he would. He
1: Stallone has sort of uh, reinvented himself a bit as a kind of a B movie actor yeah. with sort of like, I, I think he thinks he's being an A movie action star, but actually he's a B movie action star now. Yeah, no, he he now. Is. Yeah. Uh, but I think he has a, a, a bit of an inflated self-perception on this. Uh, the Expendables films, which um, which I want to love so much, and I just don't like them. But you you love them.
0: I I really in, I, the first Expendables film I thought was crap, but the second one I thoroughly enjoyed. I really did. I had I had a great time with it.
1: Well, Bullets of the Head is based on a uh, graphic novel. Imagine that. It's a New Orleans hitman played by Stallone and a uh, policeman from. Um, from Washington, D.C., and they got to bring down a bunch of uh, bad people. So the, f- the question is, how, how stallone is this? And I think that if you love Stallone, you'll dig it because he's grizzled and has, has had all sorts of work done and looks all dirty <laughs> and stabs people and shoots people, and that's what Stallone does. Oh, um, but I just don't know that his... St- I, I just think that beyond the Expendables franchise, which at least has some sort of it's got a vibe it's got a thing it makes fun of itself it knows what it is it brings back all the old stars it's, it's, it's kitschy for, uh, for the older audiences but it still somehow has remained cool for younger audiences that has its thing I just think that all the other stuff that Stallone does outside of the Expendables nowadays is just basically just straight to DVD sort of stuff um, but anyways so that's Bullet to the Head it looks it's, uh, it's on Blu-ray yeah if you're digging
0: it and Erased is a, 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 a very mediocre thriller. I, I don't know why they keep trying to uh, make Aaron Eckhart into a leading man, because he isn't. He's a very good actor. He's kind of
1: like uh, falling off the earth a little bit.
0: Well, you know what? He, he, he What he should be doing is stuff like what he did in The Dark Knight right that 's what he should be doing he's a, He's a good character actor he's he 's good in a particular kind of a part he just doesn 't carry movies very well. Um, my wife could probably tell you a lot more. she produced all of his student films, but um I think he ate a rabbit uh, cooked it out lot shot they shot a rabbit out in the middle of the desert and he cooked it and ate it on screen or some damn thing anyway um the erased is is kind of a, a mid level thriller. It's kind of it doesn't really have a lot of production value behind it, at least not as much as it needs. Uh, he plays a you know a former CIA guy. It's it try, it's a very kind of born identity, right? He's a former CIA guy, and suddenly he's got to be on the run because they're trying to erase his identity, make it so that he's never existed. And uh, you know he and his it's a little then he and his daughter have to be on the run. So of course you got to throw the daughter in there. So it's a little bit like Taken. So it's like you know the born Taken, right? Can we call that The Born sure. Taken with like Aaron that. Eckhart? Yeah. It um, doesn't really tie up as satisfactorily as it should, but it's decently done. So, I mean, you know, mid-level, you know, I mean, I guess it's worth a rental.
1: Oh, wait, for some reason, The Evil Dead has been remade. And the thing with The Evil Dead is that... Uh, why?
0: What are they why. thinking? And, you know,
1: In 1981, Sam Raimi had made The Evil Dead. It was a cult classic. And the thing with that movie is that it was sort of a product of its time i mean ramey this is sort of during the splatter era Mm -hmm. of movies like you know it's alive from the late 70s and all those great movies out were just r-rated and really icky but really kind of fun and cool but he made it on a micro budget he hired his friends and he did it his own way and it became a cult classic spawned a couple sequels and now we're not really in the obviously the spatter gore era anymore but we are in the torture porn era which I guess is hopefully moving its way out. And to that we have The Evil Dead. This is directed by somebody else, uh, Fede Alvarez. And it's not a terrible movie, but it's just sort of like Evil Dead is so beloved by its fans that I just had wished they had called it something else because now it just sorts of, it sort of puts a pall over the entire Evil Dead franchise. Yep, I mean, if Raimi wanted to do it, if he had something new to say, then that's fine, like George Romero constantly revisits the uh, The Dead series, that's Mm -hmm. fine, but I just think that there's no reason to remake this because the first one was a classic and this one brings nothing new to it other than more money, which means more blood and more ways to kill people, and I don't think that's really enough to justify remaking it, but uh, go for it if you dig it, if you're an evil, dead completist.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Solomon Kane was supposed to be a big new franchise. This was a a British production uh, starring James Purifoy, who's been trying to be like the next... I don't know, the next big British actor for the longest time. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who would be in the running to be a, a Bond if he were a little bit more successful as an actor. Uh, James Purifoy, of course, was also starred as the Templar Knight in, uh, in uh, Ironclad. That's right. friend really Andrew's film. Which they did a sequel to, by the way. You know that. There's Ironclad 2 coming out. Yes. Yeah. They just they sold it at Cannes.
1: But uh, I guess Andrew had nothing to do with it yeah he i mean he? He,
0: he got he got his fee he has producer oh, fee good. for it, so good for Absolutely. him but uh anyway uh so james Purifoy stars in solomon kane, who is you know solomon kane is uh was is um kind of a a, a a a it's a pulp he's a pulp novel figure you know he was created by uh, uh howard after um uh, Conan the Barbarian, right? Right. So he was—he he kind of came out of the same the same pulp novel uh, tradition. And I guess they thought that they would have a, another Conan the Barbarian thing on their hands. And if we're talking about the more recent Conan the Barbarian, they certainly were right. This film was pilloried. It was savaged. Uh, everybody, Nobody was quite sure what they were doing. And, and the fact that it kind of felt like a, a less interesting version of Game of Thrones obviously doesn't help. So... Um, I gotta say, it's not as bad as it I'd heard. It really isn't. Uh, the Blu-ray looks perfectly fine. Uh, Purifoy is, you know, he holds his own. It's a little weird seeing him with long hair. I don't think that makes for a, a it makes for a terribly compelling performance. You know, they, maybe not the best casting, but absolutely, you know, I think the film is acceptable. If you're if you're a fan of the Solomon Kane, you know, lore, I guess it's it'll work for you.
1: Away the long-awaited sequel to Boondock Saints is here on Blu-ray. Now, for those who don't know the story of Boondock Saints...
0: Oh, how do we say his name it? Troy Dickey? What's the guy's name? Troy Duffy Troy was the Duffy. Uh, writer and director of
1: Boondock Saints, which Dickey, is a film Duffy, from, uh, the film from uh, 1999.
0: And this... Popularized in a documentary... Called Overnight. Called Overnight, which was all about the hell of being an overnight success.
1: Well, the thing is that Troy Duffy... He just
0: got reamed. He, well, it was a
1: combination of, of him getting reamed by the then Miramax company, the Weinstein-led Miramax company... And also the fact that, uh, at least as Overnight portrays it, Troy Duffy was a big, gigantic jerk yeah. who, uh, you know, thought he was like the bee's knees. And in the end, he was just another guy ready to be just steamrolled by Harvey Weinstein. So Boondock Saints winds up getting released by like, you know, I think it was like, I'm not sure who actually wound up distributing. I think it was Franchise Pictures, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. But um Winds up getting released in like, you know, five theaters in 1999, and it was kind of a dud. But the thing is that it developed a cult following, and overnight, of course, made people curious about it. So this is in 1999. The movie was released in five theaters in that year. It bombed, got a cult following, and now finally we have the sequel, The Boonzock Saints 2 All Saints. Because they needed a sequel. Well, I'm sure this is. I'm sure Troy yeah. Duffy wanted to get this thing. He just he, 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 he had wanted, to get it off his chest.
0: Yeah, he had to. He has. Well, he's got to. He's still trying to get a career going.
1: I mean, he's only directed two movies: the Blue Doc Saints and the Moon Saints two. two. That's I it. Know. I know. You know. And he's, the thing is that now he's just overnight didn't help his reputation as being just a toxic, no, kind didn't. of a jerk. Yeah. And the fact is that there's a million guys who make these sorts of movies. Lots of blood and Look, fireworks. If, Vic, if and Victor
0: Salva can keep making movies, then Troy Duffy ought to get a shot.
1: Well, um, th- th- there's so much straight to DVD stuff that I'm sure he could be doing. But um, who wants to work with a guy like that? You know, the guy's just poison right now. So, well, yeah. but you know, Boondock Saints too is, isn't a horrible film. It's just, uh, it just I, and I'm sure it will develop some of the cult following that the original had enjoyed. But still, I, I just the Boondock Saints is not a great film this is definitely not a great film and Troy Duffy is not a great filmmaker if nothing else he knows how to copy the directors who do these things better yeah you know know. and I don't think that's really enough to recommend him. but you're right I mean there's no reason why this guy can't be making uh, you know straight to DVD Cuba Gooding Jr.
0: movies exactly and uh, one more before we get into our Vox Box Uh, no no not yet no not yet a really great British indie called Wild Bill by a director named Dexter Fletcher cool name right Dexter Fletcher Doesn't that sound like a guy who, like, he should either be doing your taxes or, uh, you know, throwing a hit on your ex-wife? It's either one, right? Dexter Fletcher? Okay, maybe not. Anyway, this is uh, one of those great British gangster films. And uh, it stars, believe it or not, Charlie Creed Miles, all all grown up and, and looking kind of gruff and really good. And uh, the idea here is a pretty simple one. We've seen it a million times, but it's just done so, so well. And it's written really well and it's acted really well. He's a guy, he comes out of prison. He's got a couple of kids to take care of. His two sons who are 11, 15 years old. And uh, he's either got to be a single dad and, and, and keep to the straight and narrow or they're going to pull him back in. And, uh, you know, it's it's that old ex-con dilemma, right? You know, how do I get out and lead a straight life when all of my uh, my old mates who are still knee-deep in the in the muck want to uh you know drag me back in and you know force me back into the illicit lifestyle and uh we've seen it a million times we all kind of know the trajectory we all know the dilemma but i'll tell you the acting is really good the writing is sharp and it's a fun film to watch that's from flat iron films which is a division of Cynodime, again the new uh empire of chris mcgurk formerly of overture at whose house and party you embarrassed yourself in front of dustin hoffman
1: (laughs) I told that story last week.
0: I know. I just li- I just like backing my way into it. Any opportunity I get to back my way into a Chris McGurk reference to that party, I always do.
1: I miss you, Hopping. I-, I love your movies. <laughs> I grew up on you. I like you.
0: All right, you
1: were Tootsie and a tomato. <laughs> you are tomato.
0: All right, uh, Mark. Let's cl- let's clean up some of the uh, some of the old classic movies stuff that we still have sitting here from uh, from last week. T- tell us why you love Mario Bava.
1: Well. First of all, you said classic movies that we love, and, and then you say Mario Bava? <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Mario Bava was an Italian director. He wrote a bunch of uh, giallo, giallo films, yeah. which is like Italian horror. And uh, the one thing about um, Bava is that he did employ Boris, Boris Karloff on occasion, and you got to love that. He's Boris Karloff. The first is Black Sabbath, and that's on Blu-ray and uh, DVD. I have to say that uh, I'm not a fan of this film because I'm not really a fan of um, Mario Bava. But um, in fact, the only thing to come from this movie is the name of the band.
0: Okay. Fine. Exactly.
1: Anyway, so Black Sabbath is from... Uh, what, what, what year is this from? Anyway, Oh, this is from 1963. And it's, yeah. uh, here's the thing. It's a triptych. There are three individual horror stories in this movie. And uh, so that means that if you don't like one, there's another one coming. And it turns out I don't like either. Um, so, people do like this film, though, I have to say. And, uh, in fact, enough where Kino does have a Mario Bava collection where they uh, release a bunch of his movies. They're definitely cult classics. People like it. If you're in that world, you definitely like it. Me, I, I just think I don't like Giallo films. I don't like uh, Tenabre or uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, uh, Argento. Don't oh, like yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Don't like Mario Bava. I'm really not the not the audience for this, but... Um, That being said, Kino did did do a good job with this. It's uh, got a nice new 35-millimeter, nice new HD Master from a 35-millimeter negative. And, uh, yeah, so that's Black Sabbath with Boris Karloff. Also for the Mario Bava collection, we have Kidnapped. And Kidnapped is a little better because there's, there's like, some psychological gamesmanship kind of going on in Kidnapped that I found a little more interesting. And this is from 1974. And, uh, yeah. And the thing is that this thing was lost for a long, long time. And then I'm not sure who found it or how it got found, but it was found. Um, you know, it was shut down near the end of its production, um, after the, uh, principal investor had died. Um, so.
0: Wow, that's interesting.
1: So the good thing about Kidnapped is, is that it has a little bit of history behind it, and it does have a more of a psychological bent than just a bunch of cheesy horror, although there's plenty of cheesy horror here because it is Mario Baba. But, um,. Anyway, so Mario Bava's son was the one who helped uh, put this thing back together. So, Kidnap does have some history behind it, and uh, it's it's one of the better ones. Uh,
0: I got to tell you, Mark, I am uh, I am so unbelievably impressed by the stuff that Cohen is doing. The uh, the Cohen Film Collection people. Uh, I got a Blu Ray here in my hand. Perfect understanding, a, uh, a, a an incredibly good romantic comedy that had just been vanished for so long. Great British romantic comedy with Gloria Swanson and Laurence Olivier, uh, written by Michael Powell. I might add. And directed by a guy named Cyril Gardner, who it could have been directed by, you know, Snooky the dog, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's a really terrific Powell script and uh, wonderful performances, just terrific. On a Blu ray, in the standard uh, Cohen Film Collection clear Blu ray case, which uh, is always easily identifiable. And uh, I give full disclosure. I'm having a lot of fun actually working with the Cohen Film People because I did an audio commentary for a film that they're going to be releasing at the end of the month. So in a few weeks, I will get to tout my own audio commentary. It was a lot of fun to do. They're good people. They really love movies. And uh, they, they are going to be releasing a lot of really, really, really cool films coming forth. Because remember, they have the Rohauer Collection now, which means all of those old Keaton films and a lot of those old, those old Silence that have previously been... Uh, only available through Kino, we're now going to get those from, from Cohen. So they're going to become a real player in the, uh, the classic and the silent film arena. They're making some unbelievably great acquisitions. And there's some stuff coming down the pike that I can't talk about. I might be doing more audio commentaries. You have consented to be part of the audio commentary pool as well. Yes, I I have. Yes, you have. should so be fun. If, we, if, they, if they decide to pair us, we'll have more DigiGods commentaries coming down the pike. Yeah.
1: I know, because we, uh, we haven't done any for like nine months.
0: Yeah, for nine months since. Gee, what happened nine months ago? I don't know. I, I was waiting for my child to be born. That's that's what happened. Uh, I'm going to blow through these olive You want to tie me on this? Time me. Tie
1: you? Tie me. Time me. Tie me up. Tie me no. Wait, time now, what's the, what's, what's the challenge? Well, how, the how many challenge.
0: movies? Well, We've We've got like a stack of olive titles here. There's some good stuff in here, some kind of negligible stuff, but I want to give it all their proper due because olive...
1: How many do we
0: have? I, I don't know. There's like uh, 15 or so.
1: Oh, okay, 15. So if you do... If each one I, – I, it's got to be a challenge. Nine minutes. No, 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 no. Well, fifth, let's say I give you 15 seconds to talk about each, right? Ooh, that's tight. Okay, t- okay. 20 seconds okay. to talk about each. 20 times 15 is something or other. Yeah. I don't know what 20 times 15 is.
0: 20 times 15 is, is – is, 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 uh, wait, uh, on,
1: on, wait, hang on. Don't eight, stop the recording. Five, 20 times nine, nine, twenty. Eight, 12. <laughs> We're so pathetic. 20 times 15 is 300. Three hundred. divided minutes. by six st- divided by sixty. That's five minutes. Oh dear. Okay. Can you g- do fifteen g- movies in g- five minutes?
0: Six. Give me six minutes. Okay. Give me six minutes. Let's okay. see if I can do this.
1: Okay, I'm setting okay. the timer, it's gonna. It will. The <laughs> iPhone timer will audibly go off if you don't. If you don't nail this.
0: Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Three, I'm, two, go. All right. We got. You know, of course, mm-hmm. Olive, who has been re- uh, cover, re- acquiring a lot of uh, Paramount titles, uh, licensing a lot of old Paramount stuff, especially old John Wayne movies. Got three here. Uh, they're all middling Wayne movies. Uh, no classics, but uh, no no stinkers either. In Old California, Lady from Louisiana, and Dark Command. Uh, a lot of fun, uh, John. Wayne Wayne Frontier stuff here, and uh, I, I'd say I'd recommend all three of them. Uh, Walter Pigeon and uh, Gabby Hayes, the old, reliable Gabby Hayes, and then Robert Walsh directed Dark Command. Probably the better film here, but in old California, I got a little soft spot for it. Um, a movie that Mark is going to be really sorry he doesn't get to weigh in on immediately is Hangar 18. Hangar 18 was... Uh,
1: Oh, I remember that movie. <laughs> he it, was, run, it was
0: cool. He runs back to the mic. It really
1: was cool. It was great. It's...
0: Hangar Eighteen was was released by the uh, the Chic Sun people, who did all of those documentaries like uh, Outer Space Connection and Chariots of the Gods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they they did a lot of uh, a lot of the sensationalistic quasi documentaries. They also did a few things like Orca, the uh, the the Jaws knockoff with uh, Richard Harris hunting a. Uh, a, uh, a killer whale and, uh, but this is I think the most fun film they did it's about you know we discover a flying saucer and uh, it's cool it's a really cool fun movie it has Gary Collins and Robert Vaughn and Darren McGavin and a lot of great uh, kind of 70s and 80s talents in it this is from 1980 so it sits right between the two decades and it is a lot of fun it's, a, it's kind of a cheesy thriller but the whole, when they find the flying saucer and they go inside and all the stuff that happens it, it was great right? Mark's giving me the thumbs up doesn't want to run back to the microphone All right. Uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much is an otherwise forgettable movie from 1969 that is great only because it has Adam West in it. And uh, Adam West, of course, was Batman at the time. Everybody knew him as Batman. And, uh, you know, just check it out because it's got Adam West in it, darn it all. Uh, The Magic Christian. The Magic Christian is uh, considered a really stupid kitsch film, Uh, kind of a a 60s, uh, you know, cult movie iconic piece of junk that nobody really likes but uh, because it has Peter Sellers and Ringo Starr in it a- and because it was written by Terry Southern and Peter Sellers and a whole bunch of other people from Terry Southern's novel in the wake of Terry Southern's contribution to Doctor Strangelove and of course being an unbelievably popular writer from the time, uh, it, somehow it's beat generation 60's era credentials have uh, been resurrected so it's worth checking out It's, but just don't expect it to be all that good it's it's really cheesy and Cary uh, Grant and Deborah Carr and Robert Mitchum and Gene Simmons in The Grass is Greener of course with Stanley Donnan and uh, Cary Grant you can't go wrong it's uh, you know they did charade together and even if you don't have Audrey Hepburn you've got Deborah Carr not bad substitution Um, My Brothers is actually a new film from a guy named Paul Frazier this is uh, actually a pretty cool little 2010 Irish movie Uh, one of those one of the off uh, titles that Olive discovers at film festivals and wherever and it's just lovely it's about three brothers who uh, are trying to replace their dad's watch it's just one of those great European films somehow finds a lot of love and, uh, and humanity in, a, in an otherwise simple situation. Barbara Stanwyck, always wonderful in the file on Telma Jordan, a Robert Syodmack uh, noir from uh, 1950, which is just perfect. Uh, Syodmack was a noir specialist, and Barbara Stanwyck uh, certainly did some of her best work in noirs. If you haven't seen this, you're missing out. It is a terrific Blu-ray. Black and white on this Blu-ray is just, it's gonna, it just pops. It's beautiful. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper, also in Blowing wild uh, directed by a director not terribly well known from the area, Hugo Freganese or Fraganesi, uh, never did figure out how to uh, how to pronounce it. Anthony Quinn uh, also a great supporting part here. This is uh, takes place. It's a kind of a quasi noir that takes place in uh, South America in the 1930s. Um, it, you know, a, a, a decent film. Uh, they've all done better, but it's not bad. Ruben Ruben was a big deal at one point. Uh, Tom Conti came of age in this movie. This was a terrific 1983 indie that really really soared. Um, uh, It was written by Julius Epstein. might have been actually the last film written by Julius Epstein of Casablanca fame. And uh, it's it's sharp, and it's smart, and it's funny, and it's kind of sad at the same time. And uh, Tom Conti got an Oscar nomination for it. Very well deserved. Um, Marcel Marceau in a movie directed by William Castle. How many times are you going to hear that? Uh, This is called Shanks. And this is a peculiar, weird, uh, one-of-a-kind, culty movie. The last film ever directed by um, William Castle and a very strange performance from Marcel Marceau close to the uh, end of his miming career or when he was actually uh, doing substantial amounts of performance. From 1974, a very bizarre movie but probably worth checking out. That's one that they really dug up from the bowels of the Paramount Library. Cary Grant, again, and Leslie Caron, a fetching couple in Father Goose, an absolutely delightful movie that Paramount has released previously. Apparently doesn't want to release on Blu-ray, so Olive is taking up the reins. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It's uh, basically about a guy who decides he's not going to deal with World War II until it's over, and uh, so um, it all takes place on a South Pacific island. It's a lot of fun. Leslie Caron is absolutely delightful. Uh, not to be confused with the aforementioned Shank is Burt Reynolds in Shark, which uh, is a bizarre Samuel Fuller movie, uh, one of the one of the campier Samuel uh, Fuller movies from 1969. Um, that just, uh oh, am, am I over? You're done. Oh man, oh, God oh that God. sucks. Okay. Oh that sucks. Well, okay, you like yeah, give me give me two minutes of overtime. Ooh, two minutes of, two overtime. minutes of overtime. I'll, I'll get through the rest the of them. Back. Uh, anyway, Burt Reynolds is an American Gunrunner, runner, uh, but it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty silly movie. Uh, Crash Out has some tremendous performances in it. This is from 1955, directed by a guy named Louis Foster, who was another kind of workmanlike guy at the time. Has William Bendix and Arthur Kennedy in it. Arthur Kennedy, of course, uh, famous as playing the photographer uh, Bentley in uh, Lawrence of Arabia and um uh, Jackson Bentley and it's about a con bunch of convicts who are uh, trying to avoid being caught and it's it's pretty rivetingly done i'm I'm surprised it uh, hasn't gotten more traction so that's another one from the bowels of the Paramount library um uh, let's see here uh, One Touch of Venus with Robert Walker and Ava Gardner uh, this is another great little romantic comedy that, famous mainly because it was uh, co-written by Frank Tashlin of uh, Jerry Lewis movies fame and uh, it's, it's delightful it's charming Robert Walker has never been better and uh, it's just it's, it's really really nice directed by William A. Sider who previously did a movie called You Were Never Lovelier and uh, I, I just think the, uh, the Tashlin screenplay is really really sharp and charming definitely worth looking at Uh, Frank Lovejoy Richard Carlson and Rusty Tamblin in the Joseph H. Lewis war movie Retreat Hell Um, pretty decent war movie looks really good on Blu-ray this is from 1952 and uh, probably one of noteworthy really because it's one of the few films ever to deal with the Korean War so it's noteworthy in that respect even if it's not one of the great war movies of all time Charles Bronson in a really good western directed by uh, Gene Fowler called Showdown at Boot Hill I'm going through these as quickly as I can um, let's see, uh, we talked about that some weeks ago, and then we've got two Jean-Luc Godard movies. This is the last thing that Olive is doing. Olive has licensed a bunch of Jean-Luc Godard movies, and they are releasing them uh, a little bit like the way they do the Hal Hartley films as part of the JLG, that is the Jean-Luc Godard collection. Uh, the first one here is Comment Ça va, which I don't think much of. Oh, darn it. Uh, which is just one of Godard's non-linear, non-narrative uh, rant movies. It's just a visual, you know, just existential, just mad, madcap, crazy thing. And uh, I mean, it's it's a narrative film, but it's barely a narrative film. Uh, the only good thing about it is is Anne-Marie Miel Mielville, who's who's a pretty good, who's a pretty cool actress. And then uh, the other one is Keep Your Right Up. Um, Mark, did you ever see Keep Your Right Up?
1: Uh, that sounds awfully familiar.
0: Keep it right up. It's a really peculiar guitar film from 1987. And I I, I guess, you know, I don't know what he's... He's trying to make kind of a strange comedy in which he stars himself. He's like he's trying to do... He's trying to be... It's like he's trying to be Keaton and he's trying to be Chaplin. Is that the uh,
1: one that has like the rock music score or... uh...
0: It's just it, – it, it, he plays – basically it's one of these self-reflexive things where he plays a filmmaker who's trying to make a movie within 24 hours and uh, it just it, it's supposed to be funny at that point because, but it just becomes weird and obscure and just kind of random. But anyway, uh, look, Gadar is Gadar. Either you love him or you don't, it's, uh, it is what it is.
1: Uh, you know what? Knowing that he's in his early 80s now but he's still fairly active – you know, it's just a bit of a shame. Is he shame. in his early 80s? Yes, he is. Oh,
0: my God. It's just
1: a bit of a shame that he's, he's not making, like, real movies. He makes these weird, avant-garde little film essays more than he does make actual films. And I think that's uh, a shame. Although, I, I heard that he's directing uh, the new uh, sci-fi channel original film Shark Sharknado.
0: He's doing Sharknado. Yes, that's it's good. a combination
1: of a shark and tornado attack.
0: That's really good. Okay, by excellent. Well, by I, the way, I'm wait, there really
1: is that. a Sharknado.
0: I, I know there is, I'm, and, and I'm embarrassed that it exists.
1: It's uh, it's directed by Jean-Luc Godard. Uh, that's good. <laughs> all right, Jean-Luc Godard brings you Sharknado.
0: Oh, uh-huh. awesome. all right. Uh, we got television. We got television to do now. So, we uh, do that time, yay! So let's a lot, a lot of, a lot of classic TV this week, um, and very little time left in which to do it because I just blew through too much time doing all the uh, all the old. All yes, stuff. you but did. We're going to do as much as we can. So, uh, Mark, um, that's not old TV. That's TV that I don't particularly care for. I don't get. So, why don't you explain to me that that peculiar Cartoon Network? Well, thing?
1: a lot of people do get Regular Show, Wade, because Regular Show won an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program, so a lot of people do like it. Um. You know, the thing with this show, the thing that the regular show people do well, or what the one thing they understand, is that if the adults don't hear some jokes that cater to them, knowing that the kids will never understand it, then there's a much better chance that the adults will sign on. Because, okay. really, the the animation is crude and a little ridiculous, and that's what kids are like, but the dialogue, you've got to have some adult jokes in the dialogue, because otherwise... You know, if the parents don't like it, uh, you know, they'll be less inclined to buy all the toys and T-shirts and whatnot. So this movie, uh, this movie, this show definitely has that. Now, regular show on Blu-ray, this is the first and second seasons. They're piling together on one. There's like 40 episodes in this thing Um, and a bunch of special features, too, uh, including commentaries for all 40 episodes. So people do like this show. I, I have to say that I don't know that this ever got the traction of, you know, some of the other popular kid shows of the day. But it is something that people dig, especially if, if you have kids of that age. Wade, I believe your daughter is a little young for yes. regular show. Yes, she is. Now, is your daughter uh, too young for Unforgettable? Oh, definitely. Now, uh, Unforgettable. And always will be. Is uh, another one of those cop procedural shows, NYPD cop, consults on a homicide case, and blah, blah, blah. I just think these shows are a dime a dozen. The only thing, is, the only thing with this show is that the cop is really hot. Just mm-hmm. like in real life, she's played by um, Poppy Montgomery, who was a had a blip as a movie actress and it never really happened. But uh, so now she's uh, doing this show, which I think is on CBS. But um, I have to say that uh, this is just a not a good show because it just seems like just another one of those shows where like the super hot, leather clad, hot detective solves crimes in the big city. Like it's enough well, you,
0: you know, it's not like that, Mark. Uh, Star Wars sweet, nostalgic, 1959 classic CBS television show, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, which uh, ran for four years and which is available now in a complete series box set from Shout Factory. Yay, Shout Factory. Shout out for Shout. Uh, This is 147 episodes on 21 DVDs, and if you love classic TV, you got to get it. Uh, Dobie Gillis basically starred, well, it's based on short stories. Did you know that? I never knew that. Dobie Gillis was based on on a short story collection. From uh, Max Schulman. I'm not even. I don't even know who Max Schulman was, but he was a guy. I guess a big humorist in the 1950s. He
1: was probably Jewish.
0: Probably with a name like Max Schulman. Yes, I would think so. Uh, he's certainly not Swedish. Anyway, um, not that there aren't Swedish Jews, of course. You know, they just aren't named Max Schulman.
1: Just get your foot out of your mouth. <laughs> Move on.
0: (laughs) Anyway. Nothing to see here. So Dwayne Hickman, who was something of a minor celebrity at the time, was the star of the show. And uh, Bob Denver, of future Gilligan's Island fame, played his beatnik buddy, his totally lazy, bum, loaf around uh, beatnik buddy, with an even better name than Gilligan. And Gilligan never had a last name, which is Gilligan. But um, his name here is Maynard G. Krebs. I love that. Maynard Krebs. Anyway, uh, Bob Denver actually did more episodes of Dobie Gillis than he did of Gilligan's Island, and yet he's famous for Gilligan. That's his, his famous incarnation. Well, because but, that
1: show has endured, yeah, totally. as Dobie well, Gillis has not.
0: And Dobie Gillis should. I hope people rediscover it here. The idea is very simple. You know, uh, Dobie just wants to find a great girl. And, you know, it's, it was a, in, an easier time, a gentler time. It was a sweeter, more innocent time. So you could kind of get away with that in the late 60s. But by 1963, which is around when the time the show was finishing its, its run – it's you know uh you're you're getting into a kind of a rougher period i mean you're getting you know kennedy assassination vietnam starting to boil over uh the civil rights movement you know uh, segregation race war civil rights uh, act i mean all of these kinds of things are suddenly in the in the zeitgeist, and it I think just kind of took the the wind out of shows like Dobie Gillis, which sort of belongs more to the Leave it to Beaver, uh, well, Ozzy and Harriet era. Well, this in is really respects.
1: this is one of the last of the sort of the Eisenhower era post war bingo exactly shows. And and you know the thing is that people don't remember is that you know who who one of the main like kind of like villains of the show was Warren Beatty.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a Milt it's a fun show it's a fun show people definitely should rediscover it I think it's easier to appreciate it now than maybe when it was on at the time and kind of losing uh, favor with the zeitgeist Uh, the original pilot is on here uh, or at least footage from it and uh, you get some bonus episodes from other shows like uh, Love That Bob and The Stu Irwin Show and uh, even pages from some of the scripts it's a wonderful wonderful package total of 21 DVDs 147 episodes absolutely fabulous I love it
1: thank goodness we're not releasing it on like you know season sets that'll take forever
0: oh Oh, no, 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 Dobie Gillis, the whole deal, all four years, right here, one box set, done. Go get it.
1: Speaking of uh, one box set, you know... I know, but
0: speaking of, this is going to take forever, but... No, it's not.
1: I'll I'll make this take ten seconds. Uh, Season six of Bonanza is on DVD. Normally they've been releasing these on uh, half-season sets, which is really annoying, but now they have have, um, packaged both half-season sets together and called it the official six-season value pack. Oh, please... You know, you what they're finally realizing—that nobody wants to buy half a season of Bonanza, so you just put the damn thing on a DVD, I know. one per season. Enough I know. Jesus, I, know. I hear weird. you. I hear you. I know you do. Bonanza, nobody cares about Bonanza. You know, it's uh, over.
0: a couple of a couple of classic shows that I want to make mention of very quickly because it's worthwhile. The FBI, fifth season, part two and part one uh, in one pack. Uh, thank goodness they decided to do this. This is, uh, you know, the FBI was a good show. Um, I I just don't know if it was uh, good enough to, to, I don't know, to be even doing as as a DVD-R series from uh, Warner Archive, which is what this is. Um, The FBI had, uh, you know, it was one of those... um, Quinn Martin production deals, and it had Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. in it. Yeah. And it was sort of, it was a very clean procedural. Um, but in this age of really, really uh, intense procedurals, I, it, it feels dated. It really does. I used to love this show at the time, but now I watch it, and it, it, it even feels dated compared to something like Hawaii Five O, which I, I it feels like you know very, very timely. Apart from all the sixties kitchen, it. So the FBI is out there. The fifth season in two parts that are that are packaged together. You can get it if you want, but nostalgia is really. the only reason that the that show f- kind of stays afloat. And then, more importantly, Mark, the complete first season of How the West was won, which is a show that I loved, and I never thought that this would kind of find favor again, because this show just kind of went right off the map. Uh, this ran for a number of se- uh, seasons. It originally started as a uh, television movie called The McKayans, and it's all about a frontier family in the Old West. It is a huge epic tale with James Arness, formerly of uh, Gunsmoke fame, playing the uh, playing Zeb McCann, the patriarch of this family. A young Bruce Boxleitner, uh, also in the in the clan. Um, and it's uh, you know it, it it's really remarkable how this show was able to spin lots of stories that spanned the entire fabric and tapestry of the West. You would have on this show, for example, Zeb would go off and do one thing, and Box Lightner would go off and do another thing, and he'd be wanted, and he'd be a mountain man, and the family's back of the homestead. And you're weaving all these stories together and going to all these different places, and occasionally the family will come back to the same place. But it really tried every week to be this huge, sweeping all-American tapestry, and it succeeded. Uh, I've never seen a show that quite did that as effectively and uh, it w- I, it w- at some level, I think it was too ambitious for its own good. Um, but boy, this was a really, really good show. Eva Marie Saint was on here. Um, just such a really, really good show. And I'm so happy that it's finally based, uh, finally back out on uh, uh, where people can see it. And one of the best theme songs ever. The theme music for this is amazing. It's amazing. Some of the best theme music you will ever hear. I'm gonna, next time we get a season on this, I'm going uh, to yank it off and I'm going to use it to open the show. I swear I'll do that.
1: You swear? you swear. Don't threaten me. It's a threat. All right, Wade. We had the, there was a funny um there was a funny headline in the Onion a couple weeks ago. The headline was USA network renews burn notice, royal pains, burn collar, covert notice, royal affairs, legal burns. Which is to say that USA Network has just a bunch of these similar shows that are completely interchangeable and nondescript, and uh, no one really can tell one from the other. And they're all about lo- spies and lawyers in pretty locations, and it's just embarrassing. Well, to that, we have Burn Notice Season 6. And uh, this thing just keeps going, and I don't get it, and I don't care. And there's, um, well, I have to say, Rennie Harlan directs one of the episodes of this, so there's more action in that one, because Rennie Harlan obviously is an action director. And Bruce Campbell's in this, which I guess is okay, because we talked about um, Evil Dead last week. Was it last week or was it this week? Was it earlier this week or last week? last week? Oh, it last I was, week. I don't even yeah. remember. Um, anyway, Burn Notice Season 6. Come on, guys. Just stop stop, stop that already. Uh, Rectify is a show that was originally... Excuse
0: me. Whatify? Rectify Oh, my goodness. <laughs>
1: Rectify was originally uh, developed for AMC, but then the Sundance channel picked it up. I think it was their first original uh, scripted series. This is a pretty good film. It's fr- a film. pretty good show. It's from the producers of Breaking Bad, and it's about a guy who uh, is released from death row after 19 years. He has to go back to his, uh, his family and his community, and, uh, and he's got to get himself uh, reincorporated into life after spending 19 years on death row for uh, a crime he, I guess, presumably did not commit. So uh, I find the show actually pretty good. I have to say. I have checked it out. Uh, It's on DVD, which is lame, Anchor Bay. Why did you do that? It should be on Blu-ray. But uh, it's a good show. I'm curious to see how they develop it because, again, there's a lot of stories to tell as this guy starts to uh, reincorporate himself into civilian life. So uh, there you go. Rectify. Cool. Cool.
0: Mark, uh, I rave uh, every once in a while about megahertz here. MHz Networks, uh, the megahertz networks people at uh, MHz Networks dot org, they are doing an amazing job of bringing some really, really cool foreign language uh, television series out. And uh, this, I, we have a series now. I mean, they've done. You know, we're going to talk about another one here, Borgin, in a second. But Beck. Uh, I have here, which you, you asked, I, I think earlier in the show, uh, What's uh, how many installments of that movie Beck? And I said, it's a TV series. Uh, there are eight volumes here, uh, three episodes per. And Beck is a great detective series. I mean, it is a great Swedish detective series. Uh, you've got to check this out. This is, uh, it's all in Swedish, of course, with subtitles, but um, some cool extras, and it's so well written. It is grittier and grungier and tougher and smarter even than I think any British detective series I've ever seen. It, it's one of the best uh, TV detective shows I, I think th- that's ever been. It is really, really good. And uh, part of that is just because the guy, Martin Beck, who's the central detective, he has this great chemistry with his partner named Gunvald, who's just uh, a loose cannon. It's, uh, I wouldn't call it exactly a good cop, bad cop thing, but it's definitely there's a tension there. It's not even you know Holmes and, and uh, Watson. There's a great tension between these two guys, and it's just riveting. Every episode is like this great thriller. And they're smartly written, they never repeat themselves, and they never feel claustrophobically procedural. There's not, you know, too much talking and boredom. Um, You could watch, you could just burn through episodes in no time flat. You could get a, you know, buy like three or four or five volumes of this and you'll just blow through a whole day and you won't even realize it. Really, really great stuff. And then also from Megahertz, MHZ Networks, is uh, season two of Borgen which is the, uh, the very, very smart Danish political series. Uh, kind of West Wingy, but it's, uh, it, it's, pretty sh- it's pretty sharp. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some American version of this show up a little bit like uh, we did with uh, Kevin Spacey and uh, Netflix doing the uh, House, of cards. House of Cards, the original British series. And uh, this is really sharp. Season two, we talked about season one a few weeks ago. This is pretty great. Definitely check this out. Uh, uh, that's, that one's just, it, this is great. They're all great. Good Scandinavian television, which, you know, we always knew was there. It's just nobody's ever bothered to release it in this country before.
1: Wade, uh, Warehouse 13, the sci-fi show keeps going. Season four is now on DVD, not Blu-ray. Stop that, people. This is the show about uh,
0: this, uh, this
1: is repository of uh, supernatural uh, artifact. There's repository. A- Oh, remember that the famous uh, first Star you're talking Trek about blooper? No, no, no.
0: And not, now you're talking about repositories. Remember that, that, you're that, just all about the butt today, aren't remember you? Remember that
1: famous Star Trek blooper where um, where Leonard Nimoy he was supposed to say the planet acts as a repository, <laughs> but instead he said the planet acts as a suppository. Yeah. And then when he says the blooper, yeah, you know, because he had his hands behind yeah. his back like Spock always would have his yes. hands behind his back. So when he had, when when he when he blew the line, he takes his hands from behind his back and yeah. he's holding a lollipop. Oh, and great. he puts a lollipop in his mouth. He's like, the planet acts is a suppository. And then he cracks up, puts a lollipop in his mouth. It's <laughs> great. Anyway, um, Warehouse 13. This show, I don't know what to say about this show. It's just another sci-fi d- thing that is okay. It's just so bad. Uh, I, you know, this, I, that's why.
0: That's why I let you handle this one. These sci-fi shows,
1: they, they don't really take off. They're they're t- they're, they're really like USA. They're, they're like USA Network shows.
0: I they're know. all kind
1: of the same. They're all. With pretty people doing interesting things. And in the end, none of them are are very distinctive. Uh, They're just filler. It's just primetime filler. It's just not not great stuff. But anyway, if you like it, go for it. Season 4, Warehouse 13. Uh, I'm a fan of Robot Chicken. I admit it. I know I shouldn't admit it, but I do admit it. I like Robot Chicken. This is uh, the show co-created by um, Seth Green from Family Guy. And uh, this is a bunch of stop-action puppet humor. And I like it. This is a Robot Chicken DC Comics Special. So all the uh, jokes are at the expense of uh, DC Comics. And you know what? Robot Chicken Wade.
0: All right. I good. like Robot Chicken. Fine.
1: Portlandia comes in. I, I'm really. What's with this Portlandia? You know, it, it's my, very well, Seattle pro- to have this packaging on I a know, Portlandia I know.
0: DVD. This is why uh, Fred Armisen basically left uh, Saturday Night Live a few months ago, because he wants to focus more on Portlandia. I don't get it. I think he gets more traction out of Saturday Night Live, but I know people who love Portlandia, so more power to you.
1: Well, this is a sketch comedy thing, too, and it's filmed you know, in Portland or near Portland. And, uh, you know, it's a fun show. Here's the thing with SNL, though. I would imagine on a show like this, Armisen probably gets a lot more control over his uh, creations. He doesn't have the pressure of being on SNL every week. And I would imagine this is probably the best of his experience working on SNL without the worst of it, which are the hours. So I get it. I get it. Uh, anyway, this is uh, season three, two disc set in a very eco-friendly packaging.
0: Cool. All right. And then the uh, the last three on our television list here, and then we will uh, sign out. Is starting off with a couple of uh, you know the series. Television is where women do a lot better than in movies these days. And the final season of Damages, which was great for Glenn Close's uh, career resurrection, uh, is pretty sharp. Uh, Ryan Philippe and Rose Burton co-star... And, uh, you know, Glenn Close, I mean, there's, there's been a lot written, and it's, it's in the Opes book, too. She talks a lot about, you know, the crossover now between television and film and, and how great film actors are no longer, it's no longer a step down to go to television and then back again. There's a lot more uh, permeability between the two. And uh, i got to tell you, she's really, really good. I mean, yes, she's playing an attorney, and it's, it's a legal show, but somehow, you know, Glenn Close brings the heft, and uh, it makes this final season go off of the bang. And then Dana Delaney and Body of Proof. Uh, Dana Delaney does not age. This show is uh, is coming back, and this is the third season. So the fourth season on air now, third season on DVD. And uh, it, it, boy, I'll tell you, with all the shows about medical examiners that we've had, starting with Quincy, uh, it, somehow there's still a lot of traction in it. And uh, it, it there's there's this show has gotten better and better with each successive season. I think it's really hitting its stride here in the third season. And um, definitely check it out. Some, some great guest appearances here. And Dana Delaney just is ageless. She's just wonderful. And then lastly, Blu-ray of Killing Lincoln, which is one of the last things that was produced by Ridley and Tony Scott together before Tony Scott went and took a swan dive off the Vincent Thomas Bridge here in Los Angeles for reasons that no one still really understands. Um, this is based on the book by uh, Bill O'Reilly. Or rather, the book by Bill O'Reilly and Martin Dugard. So you, you, do, you do the math and figure out who, uh, who did most of the work on the book. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's uh, narrated by um, Tom Hanks and uh, stars this guy Billy Campbell from The Killing, who's surprisingly good as Lincoln, especially in the wake of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis recently winning an Oscar and being, you know, you're going to compare everybody to him. He does a pretty darn good Lincoln. Uh, certainly his own Lincoln. It's nothing at all like, uh, you know, like what we saw in Lincoln. But um, no historical eye openers here for me. I, I didn't go. Oh my gosh, really? That that is not what I learned in the history books. But it's uh, otherwise. It's it's uh, it's fine and it's interesting and it did really really well on television in the ratings and uh, that's why we're probably going to see uh, Killing Kennedy next. And uh, you know, killing isn't killing Jesus next on his book list. Wasn't that the of all the killing things that he's doing?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I do not no, know. No, How about no. killing his uh, career? The bad books.
0: Who? Alright, that's it. We are done for this week. We'll be back next week. Please send us your uh, listener mails. We didn't get to them today, but we will get to them next week. Listener mails, vox boxes. People who have never sent us a vox box before, don't be embarrassed about hearing your voice on on the show. You'll be forever immortalized as Mark and I make fun of you. And that's that's worth everything. So send us your vox boxes, send us your suggestions for our outros, and send us listener mail at gods at digigods.com. We'll see you next week.